With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, a couple of months ago, I interviewed Dr. John Lott about gun rights, and he had a lot of enlightening things to say, mainly that most mass shootings occur in gun-free zones, and that in the manifestos of mass shooters, they often talk about the fact that they pick their locations based on the fact that they know no one will be carrying a weapon. So um, in this day and age when our gun rights are, are you know, obviously under under attack, Kerry Sloan, a domestic violence survivor, became an advocate for the rights of domestic violence victims after watching gun laws being passed across the United States, which jeopardizes a woman's safety. She created We the Female, a fierce supporter of the fundamental human right to self-defense. Kerry brings a unique perspective to the conversation, as well as providing a voice to those still in hiding or to those who no longer have their voice to give. She just wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal, and she is here with us now. Kerry, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So you are out there championing the the Second Amendment, basically, uh, as a result of being a survivor of domestic violence and realizing that, um, you know, you're not going to get protection from the state. You're going to have to protect yourself. Is that what got you in this battle? That's exactly what got me in this battle. 17 years ago, I was beaten up for the last time by my abuser after we had already separated. And long story short, as I sat with a female prosecutor with broken teeth and, and a messed up mouth and fingerprints around my throat from being picked up and thrown across a room, um, both my eyes black and blue, she dropped his felony charge of domestic assault to a misdemeanor to allow him the opportunity, of course, which he took, uh, to plea bargain down to a diversion agreement so that he has no conviction on his record for what would have been a, a felony assault. And as disturbing as that was, and, and there's a lot of, of, of nuance behind why they do that. Um, sometimes it's because the abuser doesn't, or the victim doesn't um, want to testify against their abuser, which often happens. I was fully ready to, to do so. Uh, the more disturbing part was the law enforcement officers after his arraignment came up to me and said, or asked me if I had a place to hide for four or five days. And I was confused by that. And I th said, well, yeah, but why? And they said, because the chances of violence escalating after he's let out of jail, because in the abuser's mind, it's, of course, my fault that he's in jail. Um, and, and they expected the, the violence to significantly increase and they wanted me to hide. So nowhere at that point did they say to me, find a way to defend yourself with or without a gun. Um, they just, they knew that the restraining order that was put in place was going to be useless to keep me safe. And instead of teaching me or telling me to embrace self-defense, they, they told me to hide from them. And was that like a light bulb moment for you? I mean, were you, I, I guess you were sort of raised in or, Texas, right? Gun, gun country. I mean, you weren't new to guns or were you new to guns? Was there a light bulb moment? Did you go to the gun store? I mean, how did it all work? 
Well, I was definitely raised by uh, Texans and uh, I was born in Georgia, but I was raised in, in California. Okay. I was never afraid of guns, never anti-gun. I just never had one. Um, I was always of that mindset. I didn't need one, um, you know, so I, I didn't have one. But it was in that moment that I obviously realized, whoa, this is on me now. Like, I'm not going to be able to protect my daughter and I from him if, if violence escalates. And the cops certainly are, are literally telling me that they're not going to be able to protect me. So I have to protect myself. Fast forward a few years. And in Washington State, where I was at the time, there was a law that was passed that was uh, called uh, 1639. It made national news. It was a really big deal. And there was a lot of, of components to it. Um that that were talked about but one of the things that was not talked about in that uh bill that was passed by 67 percent over overwhelmingly and i think that part of the reason it passed by such a large margin is because people did not know this was in there but that when you go to purchase a gun in washington state and you sign the 4473 which is a background check form that a lot of people don't think um exists <laughs> um it's a waiver of your medical record and they can be denied the purchase of a firearm based on what they see in your medical record. And you and I both know that they're not looking for uh, a broken arm. You know, they're looking for something else. And of course, I did what I was supposed to do as a victim. And I went to therapy and I had PTSD on my medical record. So I was essentially set up in a position mm. where, <laughs> right, exactly. You see where the pieces are going together, where because yeah. I didn't do <laughs> for my own mental health, Too funny. I I, exactly. I was put in a position where I may be denied the purchase of the most effective self-defense tool available to me as a woman, a firearm, by the same yeah. system that gave him a diversion agreement and then told me to hide. Don't you love the way the world works? It's awesome. <laughs> you know? so, you got to have a sense of humor with all this stuff because it's just so crazy you know like that is the yeah. thing if you if you you know if you get abused emotional abuse all that trauma it you know when you are confronted with evil the result is you know it gets on you it does it it, it, it and it makes oftentimes the abused becomes the one that seems crazy you know because they're they're triggered or whatever it is like that and 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 the system might work against you as it just did with you so how did you overcome post-traumatic uh stress disorder in terms of did that stop you from getting a gun or you finally got one how did it work well by the time that law was passed i had already owned a, a few guns <laughs> fortunately oh. and it went <laughs> through um some because that passed several years after uh but he was still stalking me i see he figured out a way to get around his restraining orders and, and stalk me within what was considered the legal legal bounds because um, he was that kind of sociopathic personality. Yeah, he got a job as a pizza delivery guy in your neighborhood. He did. Yeah. So that he could, <laughs> of course, he had to take the second job because it was my fault that he had to hire a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Right. This is the crap that these guys pull. But um, so it, it pushed me. I, the gun, I want, one of the things that's interesting that I want to point out is I went through EMDR therapy. And if you're familiar with PTSD and EMDR, it's a very effective, very powerful way to process through trauma. It was started in the 70s with Vietnam veterans. Um, check it out. I wish I could remember what the letters stand for. But, is that the um, flashing light stuff? It is with the, with the sensory stuff. And yes, that's exactly yeah. what it is. And um, 
while it, it helped, it didn't get rid of like the nightmares and the paralysis. I'd get like day paralysis where I'd hear a noise and my legs would, you know, become paralyzed. It was a mess. Uh, but interestingly enough, what did it was actually buying a shotgun and putting it on a rail next to me in bed where I could literally just reach down from laying in bed and grabbing a shotgun. And that's when my nightmares ended was mm. knowing that position to be able to defend myself um, with, with a game stopper, you know, 12 gauge is pretty effective at stopping a, a <laughs> somebody that wants to hurt you. Stopping so just about that, anything. Yeah. So, okay. So you got, you had your guns, you're dealing with surviving this massive amounts of abuse. You're dealing with your post-traumatic stress disorder, but you've become this advocate. It's guided you towards a life's purpose. I mean, what, what do you make of that? Well, I told my story um, five years ago about how that law affected domestic violence, you know, victims. I said, you know, for those of you that voted for this, this is what you did to us. And I got a lot of, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. And I didn't know. And I said, well, yeah, because you didn't read the bill. Well, yes, we didn't know you didn't. You read the summary because otherwise you would have read it. It was the only thing that was in plain text, ironically, <laughs> in the in the entire bill. And it helped me realize that as I spoke about this, more women came out about their frustrations about the failure of the justice system for them and that they were at ends. And some of them were ready to defend themselves with a gun. Some had already bought guns because they had no choice because the system had failed them. And some were still in the, I don't know what to do, exasperated phase. So I started with the female. Um, and in short, the organization's goal is to arm the women with education, confidence, and self-defense. Because if they're not confident, then we can't give them the education that they need, yet the education helps to build that confidence. And then we can move forward into, you know, using those self-defense methods that, that can help to keep them and their families alive. And so it's, it's what we like to refer to in my organization as a holistic approach to self-defense. So yeah, it's kind of like a dual purpose thing. It's like sort of gun advocacy, but also domestic violence survivor stuff. But also there's a lot of men who are victims of domestic violence as well. I've had domestic violence experts on before, and it's actually um, more prevalent for women to abuse men, even though that's not the sort of usual narrative in that. I mean, are you familiar with that kind of thing? And do you ever have dudes come up and be like, hey, I'm a victim too? I do. And it's, I disagree with that. That's actually not completely true. Um, and I say not <laughs> because one in three women consistently across the board from every, cons every study across, um, one in three women will experience some sort of sexual abuse in their lifetime. One in five to seven men. Now, when we talk about domestic abuse, which is why they've moved the term from violence to abuse, men are often more likely to experience the verbal and psychological abuse. Um, they're not going to experience the physical abuse as much, right. but the physical, yeah. <laughs> right. That's but the, true. But unfortunately, what happens with the psychological, emotional abuse for men, we're the only organization, gun rights organization, or I don't know that I would call us a gun rights organization, but pro 2A um, that actively advocates for male abuse victims as well because of this. But oftentimes what happens is because a man won't typically speak up about being abused emotionally and psychologically. Right. Um, and when they do, they're, you know, excuse my language, but they're pussies or they're, you know, suck right. it up. It's sick. Or if exactly. she did it, 
It's rough out here for a dude. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's not easy being a dude either. <laughs> right. No, for sure. And, and so, uh, what we see then is the suicide rate and, and I, there's no real tangible numbers. I work for John Lott as well. I work for his organization as, as okay. director. Of and that's one of the, yeah, he brought me in because of that, because I can help, you know, all of that jargon and all of those numbers that make people's brains rattle. I, I help simplify that and help people understand how it affects their lives and educate them about what it means in an everyday application. That's why he brought me in because <laughs> it can get kind of confusing going down the, those numbers. And he's an academic and he's great at what he does, but he's an academic. And, and um, so that's how I translate that. And unfortunately, we just don't have tangible numbers for what those suicides because of abuse looks like or domestic violence survivor rates because they can defend themselves with a gun because mm -hmm. the funding for something like that is so expensive and our organ CPRC or we the female, we certainly don't have the ability to fund that type of research um, that of course the anti-gun side does, right? They're funded by Bloomberg and even the federal government to put out the studies that they put out and they're always biased as John probably showed you um, and was able to enlighten you. Yeah. It's usually enlightening when you see it. Um, and just like with this domestic violence case, this Rahimi case with the Wall Street Journal article I wrote, in short, this guy is, to be clear, not the best guy that we would ever want rec uh, representing a gun owner <laughs> in the Supreme Court. This dude is just a horrid kind of human. Um, but essentially what the case comes down to is should somebody under a domestic violence restraining order be allowed to own firearms if he's convicted, right? Because that's a federal law that that that's in place. If you're convicted of a of domestic violence, a felonious domestic violence offense, you are banned to own guns. But under Bruin, things got a little hairy. And, and so it, it's not so much that it's black and white. Is it a domestic violence survivor? It's about who's dangerous and who's responsible. You know how they kind of get in the weeds with those Supreme Court cases. But uh, we at the Crime Prevention Research Center have proven that there is no change in the numbers for domestic violence victims being murdered with or without a gun um, if there's a restraining order involved. In other words, just because somebody has a restraining order doesn't mean that it's going to prevent them from being killed. Like there's no change in the numbers and that's with or without a gun. So the restraining mm. orders literally useless. We've got the data to prove that they're useless, but every single law that goes into place for that's supposed to be a gun safety law or a, you know to keep people safe every single one of those laws in some capacity can be used against the average law-abiding citizen and a lot of those laws spe can specifically be used against domestic abuse victims uh, preventing them from being able to obtain a firearm for their own self-defense uh, particularly background checks, expanded background checks, and red flag laws. And that's what threw me into this, is understanding how those laws can be used against domestic abuse survivors to by their abusers to prevent them from, uh, uh, from being able to defend themselves. And, of course, there's always the other side. The, the abuser, uh, or excuse me, the, the, the one who's, well, the abusee uh, can also have things fabricated by their you know, that happens too. We see that a lot in divorce cases. I know a lot of women are blamed for that against men, but it happens the other way. I've, I've had several women come through my organization where their husbands made up lies against them. One was a firearm instructor 
And he made up all kinds of lies and got her red flagged in California. And it took her two years to be able to even go back to work as a firearms instructor because of what he had done. So unfortunately, it happens both ways. But regardless, those laws hurt all of us. Right. It makes sense that restraining orders do nothing. It really does. Because, I mean, by the time you know if somebody wants you to come over to your house or not <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like so yeah. <laughs> whether you if, if somebody's got a restraining order against you you know they don't want you coming over but there's a lot of cases where they won't have a restraining order and you know they don't want you coming over as well and you know especially when kids are involved in divorce i mean stuff gets real crazy real quick you know i mean you know when you're talking about children's attention and if you think someone's harming your child i mean it gets the the amount of gray area where abuse or victim or victim or abuse it just it's all one big it can be a giant gray area where everybody feels like they're right and you could see where this goes but um yeah so i'm just curious too well let me take a quick break and we'll pick it up after these words on tnt Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Back with Carrie Sloan, domestic abuse survivor, gun rights activist, and creator of We the Female. Carrie, you were talking about how um, it was a shotgun that you could reach that sort of helped you with your post-traumatic stress disorder. I think this is kind of an interesting um, aspect of your story because... 
it's it's sort of mental health i mean also just uh, you know as abuse goes both ways and this isn't like sort of uh victim shaming but we get into these crazy relationships from places that are lacking within ourselves as well you know what i mean like uh, um it, so it's an interesting psychological evolution that takes place in healing from a domestically violent situation and you having this post-traumatic stress disorder and i'm i'm trying to sort of um put the gun factor into this how this has helped you sort of on an emotional level because i'm assuming you haven't yet had to like pull the gun on your abuser yet or anything like that but just knowing that you had access to this making you feel safer can you talk a little bit about sort of how it's helped in your emotional recovery well as i mentioned i'd gone through the emdr and and it did help it, you know but you know with that type of therapy that takes you way back right i mean I, they tell you in the beginning it's going to get worse before it gets better because all of the things that led you to the traumatic reasons that you're there are obviously things oftentimes from your childhood right and so it'll bring all of that stuff up too so it takes a while to get through things and and so it did help but knowing that i had control of my own safety at that point that's what the security of having the firearm meant to me and it wasn't just having it and that's kind of and that's one of the reasons i created this organization as well as became a firearm instructor is i found a lot of times women would buy a gun or they would go take a class or what have you but then they still weren't, they're not carrying it, or they're certainly not confident um, using it the way that they should. And it's one thing to have the gun, but it's another thing to be in the mindset to use it if you needed to. And we don't, our, you know, we teach, it's kind of a joke in our classes, but we teach that you're too pretty for prison. You know, you try to deescalate, get out of a situation, do everything that you possibly can before you ever have to, you know, use lethal force or potentially lethal force by drawing a firearm and, and God forbid you ever have to use it. And it's unfortunate that I don't feel like society, you know, because it's so polarized, the gun conversation is so polarized that one side, you know, automatically assumes that you're just crazy gun owners and that the other side is like, well, it's the shall not be infringed kind of redneck <laughs> kind of attitude. And there's most of us in, are in the middle. We're like, no, nah, like, you know, yes, it's a right. tool. Or it's fun, it's sport, we can go, but this is a tool and it is my last resort. It is not my first resort for self-defense. But knowing that you have that power in you is is huge. And so when we teach my our classes, we teach it from that space. We get a lot of abuse victims, obviously. We get a lot of elderly ladies. We call them Granny Oakleys, um, who have come in, either they're widows or uh, for whatever, re you know, or their husbands are, t are ill themselves and now they become their husband's right. protector. And uh, in that we see a lot of that meekness in them. Oh, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. And you just have to find that emotional button that, to switch them. And oftentimes it's the kids or their grandkids that usually helps them switch over. Where a lot of times a woman, through a lot of cultural background stuff and years, decades, especially if they're older, you know, have the, the martyr complex where they'd be willing to sacrifice themselves. And that's why it, that tends to be more of a thing with like our, our granny Oakleys. Um, but the minute that you talk about the kids or the grandkids, oh, no, it's on. It, it's like, forget <laughs> it. Right? So we had, so yeah. I had to approach it from that experience. And I say, well, it, it, why wouldn't you do it for yourself so that you can be there next time to protect your, right. or your kids? And that's all it takes. It's just, it's that button. And so one of the things that I've come to find is that there's always this, this, uh, 
argument. Of course, we saw this a lot during um, COVID with even the vaccines and the shutdowns and stuff. It's logic over emotion, logic over emotion. And that, that really, I, I get it. And I get it. I get, ironically, logically, I get it. But particularly dealing with women, we're emotionally processing creatures. So if you can open the door with something that helps them under, to relate to them emotionally, now you can get in with the facts and the logic and now it all clicks together. So it's kind of like a puzzle piece that goes together where if you just sit there and yell at him, shall not be infringed or you need a gun, you're not like you just became that NRA redneck shall not be infringed person that they don't want to hear. And that certainly is the case when you're dealing with people that are more politically center or to the left. And I get a lot of women that lean to the left, uh, yeah. particularly in, on the West Coast, uh, where gun, where crime is going up, guns are more restricted, and, and they're realizing, I need to do something. Well, then they're understanding how these laws affect their lives personally, as opposed to the law at the surface. And that's that's how you can change things. It's interesting because I would imagine the sort of domestic violence angle of of, of your work is more left leaning, and then you have the the gun rights aspect, which is right leaning. So it's it's uh, somewhat at odds, I would say. I mean, is there anyone else in your wheelhouse like this that's marrying no. these two things? Not not that I know of. Um, I know that there's other domestic violence victims and sexual assault victims and such a uh, lot of, a lot more sexual assault victims um but there are some dv victims that are also gun rights um advocates but you know they tend to be more just instructors as opposed to dealing with kind of the background behind it and things so uh, i mean they, they exist but probably not out there as vocal or as forward about understanding that sometimes you have to help a woman understand that her life is worth defending before you can teach her how to defend it and that is a huge component when you're dealing with domestic violence victims who for years have gone through emotional and psychological abuse where they have been convinced that everything that happened to them was their fault. That's what happened to me. I mean, I got, and I was a, I was a business owner. I was a successful business owner. People were blown away because I didn't fit that mold of this meek, you know, housewife sitting at home. But I had gotten to the point where when I went home, I couldn't do anything right. So I was terrified to do anything. And then if I did do it, or if I didn't do it, excuse me, then I was a loser or whatever he wanted to call me because I, I wouldn't do it. So I was caught in this, I couldn't win place. And so when you, when you become that emotionally broken, it's, it would be easy to have a gun used against you, right? Because he's in your head and, and mm. emotionally manipulating you still. So sometimes we have to help them get past that piece and, yeah. uh, Kid, the kid one is usually the button because <laughs> they may not do it for themselves, but you are not going to touch my kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, like the, you know, there's a huge community on YouTube, narcissistic personality disorder, the videos, Lisa Romano, Dr. Sam Vackman, um, all these people like this, the narcissistic personality disorder community is gone through the roof and basically it outlines all the tactics uh, uh, abusive relationships fall into you know gaslighting blame shifting crazy making all these these things that ultimately do break down your self-esteem to the point where uh you're just completely bonkers and at the bottom of yourself have you invested much time in in sort of that type of recovery the sort of youtube videos and gone down those rabbit holes invested time in studying narcissistic personality disorder 
I study narcissistic personality disorder, not through YouTube. There's a lot of false information out there about that, particularly when, when we talk about gaslighting and how mm-hmm. gaslighting is a strange term. And what a lot of people say is gaslighting isn't really gaslighting. Um, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding from now, while there are some very valid and real people out there in YouTube and social media, and I think it's been, these outlets have been fantastic for people to have access to information that otherwise wouldn't have it in the past. There's, you also have to be, just like with gun, fire, firearm instruction, right? There's also uh, a lot of bad. And when you're already in a fragile state, it's very difficult to decipher what Separate is Separate the wheat from the chaff. Yes, very, yes, perfect, perfect. (laughs) And one of the things that I often see is that I see abuse victims be accused of becoming abusers. And one of the things that frustrates me about that, and I, I, I understand the, where people are perceiving that from, but what people don't understand is it's not coming from that narcissistic place it's coming from survival oftentimes where they're where they will become vicious as a survival technique and it's often because they have not gone through the process of learning how to to deal with the core trauma obviously and i'm not saying it's right or wrong it's it's just something that a lot of people don't really consider when they're talking about abuse victims and and such and then when you see this uh manosphere andrew tate hannah davis crap that comes out from this other side that um has a clear chauvinistic uh mindset to it when we're talking about abuse victims and such it really can set them back and put them back in a hiding or not want to get out of their situation because they don't feel like they have any help and i get where that comes from let me be clear i understand that that is in full-blown retaliation to the far left feminazi crazy on the other side and so i literally sit in the trying to help women understand look both of these guys when it really comes down to it at the end of the day women are incredibly powerful creatures and politicians and the powers that be have figured that out and they've weaponized women against their own best interest on both sides and we are not fighting i was just having this conversation with somebody uh a little bit ago, um, as I got off my flight <laughs> to, uh, to sit, to do this interview. And it was, women are not fighting for rights anymore. Um, interestingly enough, just in Ohio, it wasn't too long ago that a man, a husband could be charged with raping his wife. Um, that was just literally within the past 10 years. Um, but we have all the same rights that men do. We are still fighting for opportunities and being discriminated against, but ironically, that's because the far left feminazis are creating the very problem that they say that they're fighting against. Like they're just won't shut up because they don't want equality. They don't want equity. They want power and control. And so they're literally, it's like you're creating a problem to fight that doesn't exist. And they don't realize that that's coming from, you know, talk above them where they're weaponizing the polarization and, and gender fighting among all the other crap that we're dealing with, like we don't need that on top of it, you know? So, and what does it do? It ends up breaking up the, the idea of being able to have a strong home structured family. 
and that's when yeah. you're when you, you, don't you, you emasculate men enough as well and then they can't provide that because they're supposed to be the leader of the household really i mean if you go with the sort of the christian sort of the, the sure. order of god you know jesus sure. over man man over woman woman over child or that whole thing i don't know if you if that repul that idea repulses you or if you agree with it but but like you're saying, Andrew Tate is an outgrowth of that. You know, yeah. they emasculate men, they weaken men, they they call any masculine trait toxic masculinity, and they do the same. They do the same thing to women. They they tell them that they should, you know, you know, you go girl, and and you're an independent, strong woman. And it's like, basically, it's a it's an assault against the nuclear family structure, which empowers people and makes people able to sort of live off the grid on their own without constantly being strapped to Instagram and all this other nonsense. You know what I mean? Exactly. And but it, it, it's also perpetuating a delusional stereotype of traditional <laughs> yeah. life. You know, I my yeah, because it's an outgrowth. It, it's a it's a hyper extensive outgrowth of what reality should be. So you get like a cartoon version of it, a la Andrew Tate. He's a cartoon version of it, but there is a healthy version of a, a strong man that that I think women want men to be. Actually, they want they want a, a man who's God fearing, who's bringing the love of God into the household, who is leading. Uh, who isn't just a pushover but then again society tells them don't follow the man you know what I mean and then the and yeah. then women bring their mess to the whole situation too so it's like you know well, it's, uh, the nuclear family is uh on on thin ice I think absolutely and you know we we you know a lot of times that's talked about with like the whole gender pronouns and uh, all this kind of business you know the trans movement but it's yeah. that's almost like cover for the the core of what's been going on and that's you know from what is women have been taught uh you know the strong i'm a strong independent woman i don't mean need a man look i love men somebody's got to take out the garbage and kill spiders <laughs> <laughs> just like somebody's got to do the dishes and clean the laundry <laughs> i like the way better cook than I am, so I I let him handle that, and I will. Do I that. actually am a really good cook myself. Yeah, so there you well, go. Donnie Brasco, right? Isn't that a whole thing in Donnie Brasco? Oh, the men are the better cooks. There's <laughs> a whole light in there. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's, you know, my husband and I left Washington State because of how toxic it became, and we left in 21 after the because this place turned into just Looneyville <laughs> during the COVID stuff, and we bought 30 acres to homestead in Georgia. And yeah, nice. it, oh, it's great. Come on down. We'll go shooting. In the I love Georgia. I lived in Atlanta for five years, little five points. It's where I, uh, I grew up in Ohio and moved straight to Atlanta. So well, I love Atlanta Georgia. <laughs> and we live in the South. We're closer to Savannah. So we're out in the, we're out in farm. I love Savannah. I love yeah. Savannah. Midnight so in the go, garden of good and evil. Isn't that the most beautiful city? Oh, love it there. So uh, we, it's we have magical out in the country and it is work and so this like we were talking about this delusion right so that so this the andrew tates of the world and all these people they keep pushing this traditional family cool right and i'm here for it but women you know that are size zero wearing linen dresses frolicking in a in a meadow of wheat is not a homestead right it's not an ig aesthetic <laughs> work and my husband and i have been preppers for years so we kind of get a kick out of you know how people used to tease us all the time until everybody couldn't find yeast and 
you know, because it, it went past toilet paper and they're like, you know, oh, we can't find yeast and sugar. Oh, now you need us. Now we're your friends, you know. So we've just been building upon that. And I look at so many of these people on the Internet that think that, oh, we're going to live this cool 1800s traditional life. Well, first and foremost, what are you going to do if there's a failed crop? Let's, let's talk about that because like, if you're not already prepared for that, you're in trouble. And if you're not, you don't have experience farming or homesteading, you're going to have an issue. Second, ladies, I get that you want to get away from that feminazi extremist attitude. I Believe me, I get it. I love being a woman. I, I don't want any part of that. However, in the 1800s, your husband could beat you legally <laughs> and you couldn't vote. And so <laughs> this whole pendulum going one way to the other just kind of makes do me you think? Do you think they should have let women vote? What do you think? So I do. Um, I, um, do I know. Also, I'm just I'm yeah, joking. Well, but I, but I, I get, and you know, this is what I don't, a lot of people don't realize this, but John actually wrote a paper about that and about how uh, politics, how, how the politicking drove where we are today with feminism and, and the right to vote. And so I understand it on, from different levels. Yes, I do believe in, in right. the 19th Amendment. I also believe that the 19th Amendment for conservative ladies that listen to this, uh, stop supporting the right to get rid of your 19th Amendment because that's the best way you're going to defend your Second Amendment. And so many of these women don't get out there and vote on the conservative side. And that's that's the problem. Liberal, the, that far left side is very good about getting out and voting as far as women go. The other side, not so much. And uh, because they don't want to be perceived as this crazy loony. And, and I get that. But there's this balance in the middle that I work and that's where I work is in this space in the middle with these women. And I'm like, um, it's not this extreme or this extreme. There's this middle space and you are a valuable person and you have the right to defend yourself, uh, as a woman and nobody on either side should be taking that away from you. Through that, let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage, and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs, against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? the stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The Garda disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year, Mohammed for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. 
To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Back with Carrie Sloan. So, Carrie, we were talking a lot about domestic violence and gun rights and everything like that. Recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder, recovering from emotional abuse. I think one of the main aspects of that is forgiveness, because if uh, you're walking around full of resentment and you haven't forgiven uh that uh, to me that's when the devil has won that that means the abuse got in and poisoned your soul so i'm assuming you've uh just judging from the fact that you've created this amazing life of activism and homesteading and all that you must have forgiven how did you do that and did you i you know that's a really great question and i don't i don't I, don't, I wouldn't say that I've forgiven him. Um, what I what I would say for for me personally um, is I took the time to understand the psychology behind a narcissist and sociopath, and and understand that. And it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I get I get hit on this one a lot, uh, like attacked when I talk about how when narcissists or sociopath abusers, when they do these things, when they play victim uh, and, and set you up with this gaslighting, they legitimately believe that they're the victims in these cases, oh, right? Yeah. This is, yeah. So for Definitely. me, I, forgiveness wasn't so much, I don't know that I'd, I'd ever forgive them. I just figured out how to, I, 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 for me, I think the forgiveness, maybe for lack of a better term, came in a way of understanding personality disorders and understanding yeah. how what what is behind that as opposed to forgiving him as a person um but uh it's spirit it's spiritual it's spiritual our, our battle is with uh principalities not with flesh and blood so it's exactly I mean, the way the way i do it the way i can love my enemy is by knowing that there's spiritual forces working through them causing them to do whatever they're doing and then that depersonalizes it, except for on a spiritual level. I think I think uh, the, I think it feels personal because I feel like the principalities are so effective and diabolical that they make it feel personal. But really, in actual fact, it's not personal. And so that's sort of the key to forgiveness. I would agree with you completely. And that's and for me, that logical thinker with that, I had to process it through that way. And I'll still get attacked sometimes, or I can't believe that you're making excuses for him. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not making excuses for him. I'm literally understanding what a psychological disorder looks like and what that means. Like you said, it's an evil, it's an evil force. And that, you know, that's a great point when we talk about just self-defense for women in general, how there's this, again, back to the polarization, right? Where these women, I'm a strong, independent woman. I could wear whatever I want on one side, when I go out in public, you should teach your men how not to rape. And on the other side is, well, maybe you shouldn't look like a whore when you go out in public. And well, guess what? You as a woman should be able to wear what you want to wear, but still take responsibility for your actions. Because as you mentioned, there are evil forces out there. And no matter what you do, no matter for some people, you know, no matter how well they were raised they're just not wired right because those forces are inside of them and and they're fighting them and they're just they're just evil people and so i i don't think that that being empowered by whatever it is if it's the way you dress whatever it is for a woman or a man 
and, and still take a personal responsibility, it frustrates me that those things are still looked at as being mutually exclusive when they're not. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too that you, yeah, it does. And it's interesting you saying how like people like kind of give you a little stick, like, I can't believe you're sort of, you know, letting him off the hook or, and it's yeah. interesting that because that's prevalent in our society, this inability to forgive in this, in this, uh, in this sort of championing of holding on to resentment. But when you hold on to resentment, that means the poison is in your soul. That means the, the, e that means evil one, that means evil got into you and is, and is taking up residency in you. So it, like, I mean, you know, not to go all Jesus here, but I mean, he, you know, said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I mean, the ultimate example of that while getting crucified, you know what I mean? So that kind of is like a good symbol for all of us, no matter what we've endured. It wasn't that it wasn't as bad as what he endured and he could forgive. And we're supposed to follow his example. You know what I mean? And And it's not to be religious here. It's just as a pragmatic way of living your best life of being free of being liberated because it's no fun to walk around full of resentment even though that can that can be kind of like a shotgun on your psychological wall it can make you feel empowered like anger has this ability to make you feel empowered but it leaves you in this dark place that you don't want to remain in Oh, absolutely. And I, you, you, you said something that, that kind of struck a tone with me um, that I, I liked and that you talked about how everybody has to have this pragmatic attitude. And I think that there's oftentimes a separation of spirituality and pragmatism where people think that right. they have to separate, the pra separate to be logical or pragmatic to separate from the spiritual space. And, and I don't think that that's the case at all. And when no. you talked about, I think one of the biggest things, um, uh, cathartic moments for me uh we're talking about anger and and trying to process through is i i do not encourage my ladies like, if anger is what helps you begin your journey to heal um great but that's not where we want you in in a place when we're talking about a pragmatic thing like being a gun owner because if you if you <laughs> use a gun out of anger right. yeah, yeah. can cause a problem so exactly. th that's that's why we teach like you're too pretty for prison um, like, like think, step back, sis, cause nobody looks good in orange, <laughs> you know? And I teach a lot in the black community too. And I'm like, listen, black ladies, I love you, but not even you, you look great in everything, but orange, nobody looks good in County orange. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to go from an anger space. And I had to draw my gun on a homeless man in, in Seattle a few years back. And I was trained. I was ready. Um, I didn't have to shoot. Thank God he saw the gun and, and took off. But after the adrenaline dropped and I was processing through all of that and both logically and spiritually, it occurred to me, I was going to kill that man. I, I had it in me to take a life and boy, does, do, do things start hitting different for you emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. When you come to a place, when you realize that you're capable of that and how much more peaceful I became and how much less angry. I became. And I think that that helped me take the time to learn more about abusers and that mentality. It opened the door for me to be able to be, to be able to absorb that information. Whereas I probably couldn't have before, um, because I needed to do it for myself to learn how to not react in anger. Um, mm carrying a firearm. It's, it's kind of interesting how those things go hand in hand. And I don't feel like a lot of people talk about that the way they should. 
And I wonder if you had, God forbid, had to use the gun and and kill that man. What kind of recovery that would be? That that has to be something oh. hellish to go through for somebody that has you know that are still awake to their sort of heart space. I mean, because oh, even my- if you were in danger. You would know that that person had a whole life story that led them there and that they, you know, came out of probably crazy abuse and all the other, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's hard to sort of define people as all good or all bad. Absolutely. And that was, I mean, I remember going home. Well, just the whole process, because I don't know if you've ever been to Washington. I was actually in downtown Seattle when that happened. Oh, yeah. Seattle. I played there many, many times. I'm a musician as well. I tour there all the time. Uh, well, and of course I moved back. I was living in Oregon back in the early nineties, back when it was like, you wanted to be up here (laughs) in the early nineties, Portland and Seattle. So it's, it was heartbreaking to watch it. It's been to watch it deteriorate, but, um, I had nightmares about that situation and and pulling the trigger and all of, you know, uh, some trauma with that. And I couldn't even imagine what that would have looked like had, I actually pulled that trigger, you know, for me to be that. And that's part of where I really came to that space where I tell people like you, when you look at people and you're in these situations, you want to deescalate and walk away. So, because the goal is to go home. It's not to, not to fire that gun unless you have to. And we always think about the, the, the logic, right? The tangibles. And this is something that's, that's talked about all the time is, oh, you don't want to catch charges. You don't want to end up jail, you know, and if it's a gun, not a gun friendly state, your chances of being, you know, charged with a crime are more likely, which is true. And, you know, political agendas, you know, from, you know, justice departments and attorneys that, that all factors in, but nobody I feel really talks about the spiritual impact and the psychological impact that can have on a person. And I drew the gun and I didn't have to thank God. I didn't have to pull the trigger. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like. And, you know, I don't want to go down a, a heavy political, you know, rabbit hole with Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever, but let's just settle on the fact that this 18 year old kid was, whether he should have been there or not, like it's, it's irrelevant, right? Let's just talk about, okay, so he did what he did and now he's sitting in jail on, uh, you know, facing, you know, death charges, really. I mean, can you imagine what that did to him? You know, if anything, that's what he's got to carry with him the rest of his life. You know, yeah, and that's heavy. People, people don't. Well, speaking yeah, people of that, don't. speaking of that, and and you, you know, you have a history with Dr. John Lott. I brought him up earlier, and you know his his uh, his research on how mass shootings occur in gun free zones, and how the the manifestos of these uh, mass shooters often say they pick their locations based on the fact that people won't be carrying guns. So when these happen, and you're a big advocate of the Second Amendment, um, when these mass shootings happen, and and the usual news story, CNN comes out saying we have to ban guns, and Biden comes on, you know, with language to that effect, how crazy does that drive you? And and what's your response usually when those events occur? Well, five years ago, my response was a lot. Uh, more aggressive than it is now, as I'm sure you can imagine, because I've heard it so many times now. But I, 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 I don't mean to laugh, but I've kind of become a little bit numb to it. I'm like, here we go again. Um, it is still frustrating. And what frustrates me about it, I didn't mean to laugh about it, it just kind of gave me a giggle to think about it. Here we go. Um, not from you, but from the the, the talking heads and, and how we go through this. And we're going through it again. There was another bill recently um, produced 
Um, and it's always in response to the shootings, right? It's, it's, and it, what that really is, is politicians saying we're doing something because it's re-election time and not really because they give a crap. But um, I'm not a fan of, of politicians <laughs> at all on either side. But um, it, what frustrates me the most is the lack of information that people are making these decisions on. And understanding that, that you know, back to what we talked about in the beginning is how a lot of the decisions that people are wanting to make to, to ban guns and, and the reasons why will actually hurt people, particularly women, from being able to have access to firearms. There was a case in Jersey um, in 2017, I believe it was. It was the case was Carol Bowne. You can look it up. B-O-W-N-E. And she was a domestic abuse victim, survivor, got away from her, her abuser. Um, he kept escalating violence, kept escalating violence. And he... Um, she went and got a restraining order against him and filed for uh, filed an application for permission to buy a gun. That's what you had to do in Jersey and New York before the Bruin case. Is you actually had to apply to the state to get permission to purchase a gun before you even go to purchase a gun, go through the background check for the concealed carry. So she did that. And they sat on the application and it expired, which apparently is, is a thing that happens in Jersey more often than it should, should have been, still is. Um, so she reapplies, pays the money, reapplies to get permission to buy a gun to defend herself. And while she's waiting to get that approved, she has security cameras put in around her house. And her murder by her abuser is caught on camera. He murdered and, and stabbed her to death and dismembered her body and it was caught on the security cameras. So all of these laws that were supposedly put in place to, you know, based on gun you know, violence, which there is no such thing as gun violence. That's a made up term. But these, this, the violent crimes committed with guns were supposedly the reason why these gun control laws were put in place to limit people's access to a gun is actually what got her killed. And it actually happens more often than not around the country. We just don't know all the cases because conveniently the FBI and, and all of these reporting agencies don't keep track of those. They don't keep track of the numbers like that because they don't fit the narrative. And the voices are submerged that would, you know, give those sort of logical arguments that you just did. I mean, you just never hear that. You don't hear that story. You, you just hear, okay, we have to get rid of guns. There's another mass shooter. But like John's point, too, is, you know, what you're basically going to do is uh, make it so law abiding citizens don't have guns. Criminals are going to still get guns. People that are going to want to commit mass shootings are going to get guns. They're not going to stop. Um, you know, so basically it's going to make the, the law abiding public more vulnerable. And that seems obvious. And then you also have the component of just the fact that who trusts the government these days? They're clearly out to subjugate and control mankind. And uh, America's Second Amendment is obviously standing in their way of doing that to some degree. I mean, what kind of degree do you think that stands in the way of us being subjugated and controlled? And and we only have like about a minute left. So tell people along with this answer where to find you. I think it has a lot to do with it. I think it absolutely has a lot to do with it because I think that the government themselves knows that for what the numbers that they think that they know or is estimated that gun owners are in this country, I think they know it's a lot more than that. And that's exactly why they haven't pushed on it. 
Um, thank you for having me. You can find me on X, I guess, formerly Twitter at the underscore real and um, also with email uh, all across. Different- oh, my social medias. You can find me at we the female across different social medias and on X Twitter at um, the underscore real S N S. All right, Carrie Sloan, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be right back with more on TNT.